wonder how often you find yourself faced with a challenge and you just go, I can't do it. I haven't got the energy. I haven't got the skills. I just can't face it. Maybe you've got energy for an hour. You give it a go and it doesn't work. Maybe even days, sometimes even weeks or months or even sometimes longer than that. But when it doesn't go the way that you want it to, and it doesn't go the way that you expect it to, you just give up. And you potentially set your focus on something else instead, leaving that task undone. The tools, the resources, the equipment that you've bought, abandoned, left in the shed, or left in the loft, unused, forgotten, slowly becoming increasingly useless. I think I've probably given it away there by my reference to the shed or to the loft. But my thing that I give up very quickly and easily on is on DIY. That's one of my challenges. I'm not very skilled at it. I like to think I can give it a go. It never goes well. Uh, and so very, very quickly, I give up. It's pretty easy, isn't it, to give up on those things that don't go easily and smoothly in our life, particularly when we've had a history of things not going particularly well or smoothly in our lives. Consider there the position faced by the people of Israel when, they, when we encounter them in Ezekiel. We're carrying on our sermon series. We've already looked at a couple of passages in Ezekiel. We're going to carry that on today. Imagine yourself for a moment in their shoes. They're homeless in an alien geographical and cultural situation. They're controlled by the enemy and they're wondering where God is and what he is up to. Whether, actually, he even exists at all. Not only are they facing a crisis of place, identity, and culture, they're also throwing in the mix a crisis of faith as well. I wonder if sometimes we can relate. I can certainly understand why they might have been struggling and why they might have been given up on the idea that their period of exile, with the extreme physical, cultural, emotional, and spiritual challenges that came with it, might ever come to an end. However easy we find it to give up on projects that challenge us, I'm sure we've all had that sense of attack, however small it might be, on our own self-confidence, just before we make that decision to quit. Imagine then just how the Israelites must have felt, not only in their own abilities, but in the abilities of those around them, in their culture and their identity, and also in the ability of their God too. I'm sure many of the Israelites assumed, due to the ongoing challenges of exile and the fact that God just didn't seem to be showing up, that maybe there was a bigger, better God who'd intervened uh, and stopped their God from returning them to their rightful place. It's going to be pretty dark, pretty bleak, pretty challenging times for them to be living in. And now imagine hearing into that space these words, Ezekiel's vision from God prophesied by another one of you suffering alongside you. Turn, if you would like to, uh, if you have Bibles with you, to Ezekiel 37 equally. Hopefully the words will be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. I'm sure you've all come across this passage before. It's the Valley of the Dry Bones. Ezekiel 37, starting at verse 1. 
The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord." So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army before me. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. May people... Uh, My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Sorry, no exciting visual prop, just some water. Let's begin to explore this incredible passage full of vivid imagery and high drama, remembering the context into which it was first spoken, before we then consider what it might have to say to us here today. As I said, for those of you that have been here over the past few weeks, you will know that we are midway through a series exploring the theme of renewal, and that we are focusing on a few passages in Ezekiel to do that. Ezekiel as a book is often quite overlooked on the whole, but I'm sure that most of you in this room will be familiar with this particular story, the story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. The passage narrates a vision seen by Ezekiel and speaks directly to the crisis in which the Israelites find themselves, and to the hope for a renewed and redeemed future life, and life in its prime. Before we jump too far ahead, however, I'm struck on reading this passage again while I was preparing for today of some things that I hadn't necessarily clocked in previous times I've either read it or heard it preached upon. Too often, I think, and I can totally see why, we jump towards the happy ending, the good bit at the end, But life isn't always love and sunsets and roses and happiness. 
I was struck when reading this again by the reality in which this passage starts. The deep, the dark, the grim reality of the valley of the bones. There's no glossing over the valley that Ezekiel found himself in in his vision would have been depressing and lifeless. Literally lifeless. Full of bones, death and finality. Even the language of the book, when I did a bit of exploring, conjures imagery of dry bones and dead armies, which draws reference onto the Psalms of Lament, uh, which had gone before. Ezekiel finds himself in an unhappy place. The Israelites find themselves in a very unhappy place. But I'm struck that in this place of death and destruction and dry bones, Ezekiel doesn't find himself alone. He finds God in that place. Here I'm reminded of a similar valley, shadowed with death, that we read of in Psalm 23. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not only is God in these deepest and darkest of places, walking alongside his people, but God has a plan. And God doesn't just make stuff happen like a giant puppeteer, acting out this, this uh, story in front of him. Instead, he calls people to partner with him to bring about change and renewal and restoration. In the case of today's passage, he calls Ezekiel to prophesy, to partner with him in his redemptive, life-breathed plan, to literally breathe new life. Even when the Israelites had had enough, and could, quite frankly, be forgiven for totally giving up. God has other plans, and those plans include the Israelites themselves. The people that are in the deepest and darkest of places are the people God partners with to bring hope and breathe life into those most challenging of situations. What I was struck by next is the bigger picture story. Too often, I think we, by that I mean I, know that I definitely read chunks of the Bible without considering the reference that they have to the bigger narrative. It will come to no surprise to many of you that I'm not a linguist. Uh, literally anything that isn't English, I struggle to withhold for even a second. However, it doesn't take too much research to realize the significance of the word here that is used interchangeably for breath, wind, and spirit, and is present through the Old Testament in the form of the Hebrew word ruach, and extends into the New Testament in the Greek form of the same word, which is pneuma. Both mean exactly the same thing. This means, then, the same spirit or breath that hovered over the waters in the very beginning passages of Genesis, that breathed life, life into Adam's nostrils, that brought a once-dead army back to, the life, to life in the Valley of the Dry Bones that we've just read, 
that was present at the baptism and resurrection of Jesus, that was imparted to humans at Pentecost, and that Jesus tells us in John 14, allows us to achieve all that he did and more, because the advocate, the Holy Spirit, which he promised us, was sent into our midst. It's the same spirit. It bookends the beginning, the middle, and the end. He sends the Holy Spirit in this instance to breathe life into the dry bones that have been discarded along the way, to bring back to life those things with which God is not yet done. And in doing this, our passage not only dwells in the present, but it draws from the past and it points to the future. And here it brings hope of renewal through the Spirit of God breathing new life, pointing again to the bigger gospel narrative of what God was, who God is, and who God will be, and what he is up to. I'm also struck with the resonance between the, the vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones and where we find ourselves today, in March 2023, in the middle of Lent. Traditionally, Lent is a season of lament, of reflection, and of considering the potential reality of the challenges of life if we were without the redemptive person of Jesus. This year, certainly, we can't avoid the challenges that face us, that sense of crisis in the midst of natural disasters, war, financial uncertainty, political unrest, climate change, I could go on and on, but all these things fill the news and fill our lives. I don't know you, about you, but I know I can't help wonder sometimes, how are these things going to be resolved? Spending time being present in the valley of discontent makes me very aware that I am unable to fix these things myself. And in the same way that our passage this morning reminds us that we need to look for God we can be surprised to find God in the darkness walking alongside us in the realities of life. It reminds me that whilst I have some skills and abilities, I am not capable of fixing most things that go on around me in my immediate life and in the wider world. And it, it, uh, it encouraged me, encourages me sorry, to turn to the promises that God has spoken and I admit my dependency on God. The good news for us today is that we don't live without Easter. We know the story and how it continues. We live in the after effects of Easter. And we can use the benefit of hindsight that tells us that we have a present and a future hope. Not because of what we can do, but secured through the person of Jesus. When Jesus was sent to die on the cross, he overcame death. He overcame the challenges of life and through the power of the Spirit is present with us today. However, we must recognize the disconnect then in which we live. God has declared the victory. We are invited into relationship with him. We have a hope in who we are because of what he has done for us. However, 
we'd be kidding ourselves if we were to say, because of everything that Jesus has done, the world is fixed, the world is good, the world is sorted. We only need to look at the news to know that that's not the case. We must recognize that we live in the tension of now and not yet. We live in the grace of God because of the redeeming sacrifice of Jesus and under the promise that God has made that point towards a perfect, wholly renewed and redeemed future. But we must engage in a damaged and broken world in which we live and we need to seek God in that. In Hebrews 2, 8-9, for example, we read, Now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. This gives us a valid and secure hope for all that God has for us in our present and an even better, even more fulfilled, even more renewed future. But it also offers us a warning in the here and the now. It makes us face up to the fact that we don't have the same eternal perspective that God has. We don't see what God sees. Rather, we see what's limited to what we have already encountered and maybe just we can stretch it a little bit beyond that. The challenge, too, is that we make assumptions about what God is capable of because of what we are capable of. I wonder how often we limit God or where we try to force his hand rather than seeking what he is up to. In the passage, Ezekiel doesn't call out to God for the, the bones to be uh, restored and renewed and life to come. Instead, God calls Ezekiel and tells him that that's what he's about to do. I wonder then, too, how often we miss the signs of what God is breathing life into around us what he is up to, where the dry bones around us that he is calling back into life are. Not the ones that we want to see fixed and mobilized, but the ones that God is already fixing and mobilizing. In our passage, the revival of the dry bones is instigated not by Ezekiel, but by God. How often do we ask ourselves what we're longing for God to bring hope and life to from the dry bones around us? How often do we ask God where he intends to breathe life next? That, of course, is not to say we can't petition God in prayer for the things that we find difficult or the situations around us that are hard. But I wonder whether we need to sometimes think in a different way and potentially reset our thinking if we want to recognize and acknowledge that the movement of the Spirit of God in the present, remembering that God has a much bigger perspective across the whole of eternity rather than our small-minded perspective of who we are and where we are right now. 
as we pursue God through this season of Lent. And we live in that tension of now and not yet. And the pull and the push of renewal that Will spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Let's invite that same spirit, the Ruach of the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Pneuma in the Greek of the New Testament that runs like a thread of life from the very beginning of creation to dwell in us and breathe in us and breathe through us the breath of eternity in Bristol in 2023. Let's engage with God during this season of Lent in the lament of the broken and the challenge and the lifeless realities in which we face in our lives around us. Not in a morbid or a depressing way, but in a way that allows us to hear the whisper, to feel the breeze, to see the rainbow, to be amazed by the crashing waves, to be refreshed by the rain shower, and to be dried out by the warm rays of the sun. To inhale the breath of God in our lives and in our situations and in the lives and the situations of those around us. To let us live life to the full and to let us fix our eyes on our future hope. The hope of Easter, which we know is coming. That nothing is too big for God. That the hope of salvation, which we can be secure in the knowledge that he will return and he, we will get to dwell forever in our eternal home, with our Father, who breathed life into the world at the beginning, who breathed our first breath into our bodies and will continue to sustain us with his spirit breathing right now and forevermore. I'd love to encourage us to spend some time with God now, to dwell in the imagery of this passage, to recognize where the dry bones in our own lives might be, to be aware of where God might be breathing his Ruach spirit right now in your life, in my life, and in the life of our church together. And to soak in the knowledge that God has a place set for you in eternity right now if you give him the highest place in your life. To help us to do this, I'd love to play a worship track uh, and a video. So if you prefer to concentrate on the the music great if you prefer to concentrate on the words you can they will be on the screen assuming the video works hopefully if it doesn't we'll go for a different track and i won't sing i promise so should we give the video a go it's looking good so far can we hear it Stopped you. 
space for us to um to just meet with god um as Wayne was speaking a sort of picture came to mind that was um i don't know if you've been to the beach and you know at the beach there's often like a river that sort of randomly sort of comes from somewhere never really questioned where but um it kind of goes out to the sea and it, it just goes where it goes right um but there's there's like someone like me when i'm a bit younger slash still um who will like try and dig a sort of channel to like redirect where the water goes to take it somewhere else. I don't know if you've done that. And then the tide comes in and where does the water flow? It flows exactly where it started 
like, and, and I just wonder if, if that's a picture that might resonate with some, that maybe you're trying to dig your own channel and you're putting a tremendous amount of effort in to try and sort of get God to do that thing that you want him to do. Uh, but, but that's just not what he's up to. Like he's flowing over here. And actually, you need to maybe just to relax into that. Um, and so if that's for you, um, I want to pray for you in a second. Um, the other thing I just wanted to share is just, this is just before we came, we were just praying. And just in a sense, there were some people who um, you are, uh, I feel like God wants to invite you today. So you're kind of in a position of like cynicism. Um, you've got a kind of cynical mindset that you, you found yourself in. Maybe that's been a long time. Maybe that's been a lifetime. Maybe that's just now. And I feel like God's inviting you to sort of to move from cynicism to faith. Um, and there's a couple of things that I was just praying that sort of came to mind. I think like when cynicism is a really safe place to be in because it keeps us in control. Like we, we need to know. We need to have all the details or I'm going to question that. And until I'm certain, I'm not going to go over there. Um, and cynicism is kind of almost in that way the antithesis um, to faith. But the, but the problem with that is that I think the most meaningful relationships, in fact, all relationships are based on faith. They're based on trust. There's things you can't know. There's things you can't check. There's things you can't be certain of. It's in faith that we embrace the best in relationships. And I feel like Jesus is saying, like, if that's you, the, the, the problem is you're missing out on something with me. And I want to invite you into a posture of faith and to take that step away from cynicism. And it will feel scary because there's a gap. When you leave the cynicism, there's a gap that, that will exist. And that's the gap of, of faith. But I'm inviting you to take that today. I just want to pray. Should we um, just say, but let's stand, actually. It's, it's often easy, if you're able. Um, if you'd rather sit, um, please feel free. If you're able to stand, because I think it can just help us not be passive. And let's just invite God to just come and meet with us right now. In particular, if either of those things are you, just, just say yes to God. Just say yes to what he's wanting to do with you this morning. We don't need to be showy in our prayers to him. Holy Spirit, I just pray you'd come and meet with us now. I just pray that we would experience some of the reality of, of dry bones to life in our midst. You would refresh us, that you would renew us, that you would restore us. Come and meet with us, I pray. Let's just spend some time waiting on him.